Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. How's everyone doing on this Thursday? I'm excited to get into chapter 38 of Exodus. Exodus 38, we are jumping into today. Um, man, if you are on the GX team and you were able to come to our meeting last night, we had such a great time. Um, so much to see and do and hearing about what God is doing in our house. But today through Exodus 38, we're going to see how God set up his first house in the tabernacle a little bit more uh, with some of the other areas uh, as we continue on in the listing of what Bezel has uh, been creating. So such um, there's so much significance in so much of what is being done in the tabernacle to point towards uh, our Lord. So we're going to look into all of that a little bit and see what God is doing. Um, but let's pray and then let's get into the word. Lord, we just uh, we thank you so much for what you are doing in our hearts and our lives. Um, may you just continue to press in uh, on us, uh, draw us closer to you, uh, draw our hearts in towards you, Lord. May we not be, uh, as you have called your people at times, stiff-necked individuals. May we not be stiff-necked. May we not tighten up ourselves and resist in your pulling. May we walk with you and continue to see your grace, your mercy uh, fall on us fresh every day. Lord, I surrender myself um, to you today that this word be your word and that this be your teaching and not my own. Uh, so I pray to you today uh, in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. All right, go ahead and get a sip of coffee and let's jump into the word. I'm reading out of the uh, New Living Translation. I am still loving this Bible. This is awesome. Um, all right, let's go. Uh, verse number one. Next, Bazel used acacia wood to construct the square altar of burnt offerings. It was seven and a half feet wide, seven and a half feet long and four and a half feet high. He made horns of each of its four corners so that the horns of the altar were all one piece. He overlaid the altar with bronze. Then he made all the altar uh, utensils of bronze, the ash buckets, shovels, basins, meat forks, and fire pans. Next, he made a bronze <coughs> grating and installed it halfway down the side of the altar. Under the ledge, he cast four rings and attached them to the corners of the bronze grating to hold <clears throat> the carrying poles. He made the poles from acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. He inserted the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar. The altar was hollow and was made from planks. Bazel made the uh, bronze wash basin and its bronze stand 
from bronze mirrored mirrors donated by the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. Verse 9, then Bezel made the courtyard, which was enclosed with curtains made of finely woven linen. On the south side, the curtains were 150 feet long. They were held up by 20 posts set securely in 20 bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. He made a similar set of curtains for the north side, 150 feet of curtains held up by 20 posts set securely in bronze bases. He hung the curtains with silver hooks and rings. The curtains on the west end of the courtyard were 75 feet long, hung with silver hooks and rings and supported by 10 posts set into 10 bases. The east side, the front, was also 75 feet long. The courtyard entrance was on the east end, flanked by two curtains. The curtain on the right side was 22 and a half feet long and was supported by three posts set into three bases. The <clears throat> curtain on the left side was also 22 and a half feet long and was supported by three posts set into three bases. Verse 16, all the curtains used in the courtyard were made of finely woven linen. Each post had a bronze base and all the hooks and rings were silver. The tops of the posts of the courtyard were overlaid with silver and the rings to hold up the curtains were made of silver. He made the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard of finely woven linen and he decorated it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. It was 30 feet long and its height was seven and a half feet just like the curtains of the courtyard walls. It was supported by four posts, each set securely in its own bronze base. The tops of the post were overlaid with silver and the hooks and rings were also made of silver. All the tent pegs used in the tabernacle and courtyard were made of bronze. Verse 21, this is an inventory of the materials used in building the tabernacle of the covenant. The Levites compiled the figures as Moses directed it in Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest served as recorder. Bezel, son of Uri, the grandson of Hur of the tribe of Judah, made everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. He was assisted by Oholeb, son of Shemek, of the tribe of Dan a craftsman expert at engraving, designing, and embroidering with blue, purple, and scarlet thread on fine linen cloth. The people brought special offerings of gold, totaling 2,193 pounds, as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. This gold was used throughout the tabernacle. The whole community of Israel gave 7,545 pounds of silver measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. This silver came from the tax collected from each man registered <clears throat> in the census. The tax is one becca, which is half of a shekel, based on the sanctuary shekel. The tax was collected from 600 
in 3,550 men who had reached their 20th birthday. The hundred bases for the frames of the sanctuary walls and for the post supporting the inner curtain required 7,500 pounds of silver, about 75 pounds for each base. The remaining 45 pounds of silver was used to make the hooks and rings to overlay the tops of the posts. The people also brought as special offerings 5,310 pounds of bronze, which was used for casting the bases for the posts at the entrance to the tabernacle and for the bronze altar with its bronze engrating in all the altar utensils. Bronze was also used to make the bases for the post that supported the curtains around the courtyard. The bases for the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard and all the tent pegs of the tabernacle and the courtyard. The word of the Lord. Wow, there is a lot going on with all of the dimensions and measurements and the preciseness of what exactly needs to get built. We were described all of this, you know, chapters and chapters ago when Moses was getting all of uh, this uh, given to him. And now it's coming to fruition. Now it is actually the the fruit of the labor is actually coming about for the people to use to actually build the tabernacle, the house of the Lord. And we see here that in, um, in many of the items here in uh, so not unlike the ark itself and the uh, incense altar, but the um, the altar for burnt offerings is also used of acacia wood. Uh, interesting, uh, acacia wood is a really, really dense wood. It's actually a, a, a very good wood and it's actually a very preferred wood of many different countries uh, for items that need to be of an extra rigid uh, quality. Um, the wood is actually quite, uh, I've got a thing here, acacia wood is 55% harder than European white oak, 23% harder than hickory, and 90% harder than carbonized bamboo. It's actually one of the most durable woods to be used for hardwood floors nowadays, currently. Uh, and being used for furniture and all sorts of other items. It's basically like any kind of wood that you would <laughs> uh, want to use with that's going to get a lot of use, a lot of wear, a lot of um, moving around, and it's going to hold up well to the weathering, uh, and it's going to hold up well to all of the abuse. God knows exactly what he's doing when he's putting things together and giving specific instructions for us. This is one of those little things that are like, well, maybe some of us, if we went to, you know, Ikea or was building something on our own and they didn't have the type of wood we want, well, it's okay. We'll just go with oak or we'll just go with something else. God's instructions are very, very specific for a very specific purpose. May we not cut corners in what God asks us to do when it comes to the instructions and when he gets to specifics. And this is one of them. And so there's a purpose behind that. And researching just the wood itself really shows that God knows exactly what he's doing and knows exactly how things need to work for them to not only work for us now, 
but work for us for future and times to come. This is one of those things that we have to understand that we must follow God's instruction to the T. Understand that partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And so here we must use acacia wood. We must have the measurements done right. We must go to the instructions in which the Lord has given him. And so we move on and this altar that is made to have all of these burnt offerings it's made with such rigid material dense wood and bronze these are not lightweight materials again we also see that the lord is smart in what he's doing he knows better for us and he knows that this is an item on top of all the other items that are meant to be carried they're meant to be mobile. It's meant to move. It's meant to keep going with the people. So at the end of verse 7, the altar was hollow. It was made from planks. It's made of, yes, it was made of very dense material, but at least it was hollow. It was a way of shedding weight and making sure that this is physically movable uh, with some poles and enough manpower behind it. All of this was made movable. The ark was made with uh, rings and poles to go into it to be able to be moved. All of the other items, the tent uh, was made to be broken down multiple times and be put back together. And, and the weight of all of this spread across the people evenly so that the tabernacle itself can move with the people. This is made so that it could be moved. God designed it this way so that the people could follow the Lord, not the Lord following the people. Understand that. Understand that. That this was so the people could pick up the tabernacle and follow where the Lord is going. Not the other way around. Too often in our own lives, we want the Lord to follow our tabernacle, to follow our ideas, to follow what we want, and to actually worship our own plans when we're really needing to follow his plans, his design, and his path. The tabernacle was made to pick up and move where the Lord is leading and where the Lord is taking his people. We must have that understanding of that. That's the whole purpose behind it. I'm, I'm a product of exactly that many, many years ago. Of That's how I thought of life was that the Lord followed me. The Lord watched over what I wanted to do. Almost treating him like aspirin. I'll take two and call him in the morning when times get tough. I want him to follow me. And that's our own fleshly desire. That's our own under, that's our own personal way of uh, uh, initially thinking about things is that the Lord will be with me wherever I go because it's about what I want. And this couldn't be further from the truth. And the Lord is actually calling us to follow him. The Lord is actually calling us to pick up the tent and follow him. 
So we see this in the design of the tabernacle. We see this in the, in the design of understanding how these people were to understand and follow the Lord. We get into uh, building the wash basin. Oh my gosh, there's so much significance in this wash basin. Bazel made the bronze wash basin and its bronze stand with bronze mirrors donated by the women who serve at the entrance of the tabernacle. There's so much significance in just the idea of mirrors. And that one, we wash ourselves when we wash ourselves clean and purify ourselves before the Lord, we must reflect on our sins. We must reflect on understanding of who we are. We must reflect on our realization that guess what? We're not perfect. And we need the Lord more than we think we do. We must sit there and do that. The other part of this is that these mirrors were donated. These mirrors were freely given. Normally, and they're from the women that typically would sit there and use a mirror. A mirror is probably one of the greatest aids in uh, helping ladies put makeup on and all of that to see what they're doing. Because if you couldn't see what you're doing, I'd love to see where some of that stuff would go and it'd be all <laughs> a mess, right? but also to give up these mirrors, to give up and the focus on themselves and their own beauty and to be in service for the Lord and for his beauty. It's a self-sacrificing donation. And it's by the women that serve the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle there. Not unlike church today, where we have an army of amazing women that are wanting to serve the Lord at his house. It's just such a, a good thing to see. But we also see that this is re representative of what Christ has done. Though we may wash ourselves with water, the way we may baptize ourselves with water, it is because Jesus first washed us with his blood. Jesus washed us and redeemed us and made his holy, made us holy by his sacrifice. With his blood, we are washed white as snow. This is, a, of course, physically before Christ has come to earth and hung on that cross. But this is another representation of the coming Messiah that God is already promising. There's so much of understanding of seeing in this tabernacle of what and pointing to God's initial and always plan of redemption for his people. And we see this just happening over and over. Uh, we see even in Ephesians 5.26 that we are washed clean by his words like water, representing baptism, representing the washing of the basin, that here you have to wash yourself before coming into the presence of the Lord, before stepping further into it. It's a process to getting closer to God. And we see that today. 
that though Christ made the ultimate sacrifice, already paid that sin up front, which is where the burnt offering altar is, is up front. He paid that up front for us. So all we need to do is baptize ourselves in his gospel, in his word, in his blood. We see so much significance out of this and what it is pointing to and who it is pointing to. Also in James um, 1, 22, verse, verse 22 to 25. That we, do we look in the mirror and yet see and yet forget? It is like when James is talking about, it's like a person that looks in the mirror, sees exactly the mess, sees exactly the person of who we are, and yet we walk away from the mirror and we forget all about it. It's like we look into, we see that God's word is like a mirror to us that reflects back, shows us who we are, shows us what we should be doing, shows us the commandments the Lord has for us, and yet we walk away with immediate amnesia and don't do what he says. Or, as James continues on, that if we do, if we see and recognize what the Lord has done, we see and recognize who the Lord has called us to be, we see and recognize the path that the Lord has for us, and we don't forget, and we do, and we follow, and we go, that it is a blessing, and that it is goodness for us. And we see further on the building of the courtyard, these curtains, these 150 foot long curtains. And it said that on the south side of the curtains, they were 150 feet long and that they are held up by 20 posts securely in 20 bronze bases. These curtains, if you look at it as all of these, these beautiful curtains that are made with fine woven fabric that are just, and there's, there's, uh, just such intention to detail the grandeur and beauty of these curtains would be something that people would just marvel at as to if you would it was almost like representing of christ's arms wrapping around us his holiness and his goodness his beauty and splendor is to welcome and hold in those that want to be embraced by him but yet, I'm reminded, and in Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3, that Isaiah goes in to remind people that we need to enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. What it's saying, and in other translations, is saying that you will embrace the Gentiles. This, you, this whole idea of what we are to do is to continue to strengthen and stretch out and put our tent pegs out and let's 
make the tent bigger so more people can come into the presence of the Lord, so that more people are able to see and experience the goodness and the salvation in which Christ has for us. It is saying that, yes, Israel is the chosen people of the Lord, but he's they're chosen for a purpose. They're chosen for a reason, and they are meant to be the light of the world to other nations to show the goodness of the Lord, and that's the whole purpose, and Israel did not do that so well. And the prophets would keep coming and keep telling them, you have to understand that what you are to do is to open your arms up, welcome and embrace other people and show the goodness and love of the Lord. And you're not doing that. And that's what Christ came to do. That we as Gentiles are grafted in to the nation of Israel. And so all of us here get to praise the Lord that all of us here are made in the image of God, that all of us here are embraced and have received salvation equally by the blood of the Lamb. I'm reminded by like seeing this and it's just, it, it just wouldn't leave me alone, this idea of the curtains being as God's arms stretching out to hold us and be this beautiful majestic and we we just think of curtains and almost think of like a, a blanket just wanting to love us and, and embrace us in his house in his love in his will in his kingdom and then i see that they're held up by rings of silver the rings to hold the curtains were made of silver Yes, that looks beautiful. Silver is a precious metal, just like gold and bronze and everything else here. These three medals specifically we see in the Olympics as well, representing first, second, and third place. Winners. It's precious metal. But I'm also reminded of what silver did. Silver was the price to betray Christ. And here, silver was the metal of rings to hold up the curtains. But we see in the New Testament, silver, this precious metal, was used to actually take and betray Christ so his arms could be held up by nails so that he could sacrifice himself so that his blood could wash us clean. And so that he could take the price that we all deserve. But because he loved us first, he took that on. He conquered sin and death. All because he loved us first. And the sad thing is, within our own state, within our own greed, within our own heart, and within our own temporary mindset. Only 30 pieces of silver is what it took to betray the Savior of the world.
every time I hear silver, every time I think of the metal, every time I think of that, it just reminds me of our own greed. It reminds me of what it took to betray Christ. He made curtains to the entrance of the courtyard of finely woven linen, and he decorated it with beautiful embroidery in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And we see purple quite often in our Christian faith as uh, as a color of the garment that in which Christ would wear himself. And of course, scarlet, the color of blood. So much of what is gone into here points to our Savior, points to our Messiah, points to exactly what he's done for us. But here, the people of Israel, they haven't gotten it yet. They haven't really, they just see it as this is just this grandeur, this beauty, this majesty in which we're building this so that we can worship our Lord. But guess what? He's already been their savior, bringing them out of Egypt, splitting the Red Sea, providing manna to them in the wilderness every morning. Being the provider, being the protector, being the deliverer, being the redeemer. He is our salvation. He's proven it here in Exodus, and he proves it even more so. Through his son, Jesus Christ. We also see that further on that they accounted for this. They accounted for all of the gold, all of the silver, and the bronze. There's uh, some special language in here um, that in, of course, in the New Living Translation, it says in verse 24, the people brought special offerings of gold. The special offerings here it's really denoting that these were free will offerings. This wasn't a tax. This wasn't forced upon them. This was saying, hey, we got this building project. The Lord told us we need to do this. We've got to build this tabernacle. This is instructions from the Lord to Moses up on the hill. It's time to build a worship center. It's time to build something so that therefore you can follow me. May we understand that even of our own buildings now. That even in our own buildings now, that our buildings are not made for us. They're made for us to worship him. Made for us to follow him. Made for us to grow and equip ourselves to follow him. Not for him to look at us, but for us to gaze on him. But here it's a it's a special offer. It's a free will. It's a by choice. It's a giving of the of what you felt and wanted to do towards the construction of God's house. This was also the same for bronze, but silver was different. Silver is something that was equally given. It was a tax. It was basically saying, hey, everybody equally will provide this towards the Lord's house. Silver was the highest amount of what was given for all of the things that were needed. 
but it was an equal amount. Nobody gave more or less. It was equal throughout so that everyone equally can say that they contributed. Gold was something even more. It was the most precious of metals. And they were able to provide that. They're able to give so much of it that it it was tons and tons of weight. Tons and tons. They're saying the amount of the tabernacle all together would have been close to nine to ten tons of weight. But when you look at the tax, it says the tax was collected from 603,550 men who reached the age of 20. So roughly, if they did an on average, you're looking at 1.25 to 1.5 million people when you count up women and children within each of those as being families. And of course, children in this context means anybody below the age of 20. That many people to share the load, but that many people to be able to provide this much material shows how much material they actually were able to take that actually was given to them through the Lord from Egypt. This is how, and Egypt wasn't like poor at the end of this. Egypt didn't like, this was probably only a fraction of what Egypt had as far as material, as far as gold, silver, and uh, fine linen and everything else that they were given <clears throat> to the nation of Israel as they left Egypt. This was, they didn't leave poor. Egypt kept thriving as uh, as a nation well after this. But we see that much material coming out of Egypt, that much so that God knows exactly what was going to be used for and what was going to happen. Don't forget, this is also not including the amount of gold that it took to make that golden calf that was then pummeled into powder. That was that was not used. That was thrown away. And that's an, a huge amount of gold in itself to make a giant golden calf. And on top of it, they had all of this gold too. The amount of provision that came out of Egypt was immense. But this is what this counting, this making sure of how much all of this was and to get the numbers right and to go all of this, it's showing a preciseness of stewardship. It's showing a preciseness of stewarding of the resources and equipment that the Lord has provided. It's showing them and giving them an example that whatever the Lord provides you, count it, steward it. Make sure you know where it's going. Just like we talk about this, if you've ever been through financial peace or do any of, the, of that, realizing and stewarding the provision that you have and knowing where it's going, counting it and making sure it is used appropriately. 
And too often we don't have that level of accountability. Too often we don't have that level of stewardship in our lives to make sure that we are counting it very, very precisely and very, very specifically. I know we do in our church here. I know that we count this very, we are very, very specific in exactly dollars and where things go and which bucket it's coming out of and making sure that we're stewarding the provision that God provides us at Fusion. But are we doing that in our own homes? That's a form of worship and saying, thank you, Lord, thank you for your provision so much that I'm going to steward this the best that I can. That's the lesson out of this as well. So as we look at just the these portions and the inventory of materials, all of this points to our Savior. All of this points to God's ultimate plan. And all of this points to his ultimate love and sacrifice for us. So that we get to have a relationship with him. So that we get to be instructed and be embraced and be comforted and be strengthened and be uh, and downloaded wisdom and knowledge within ourselves from him so that we can continue to worship him, so that we can continue to stretch out our tent stakes and strengthen them so that others can come and know the Lord. So again, I, I've challenged us last week. Let's continue that uh, this week and share this soap. Share uh, the link to get on Zoom in the morning or share the podcast with somebody so that others can hear the goodness of the Lord, so that others can journey through his word. Let's continue to share that and spread the good news that we see all throughout his word here through this soaping. I pray all of you are having a good time, are having a great week, and are excited for what is in store as we journey into October. Are we crazy? This is October. This is getting insane, but I'm excited because if you know me, I love Christmas. It is coming. <laughs> but this is a great time of year. Let's be joyful for what God is doing. We're going to see a lot coming up in the future. But let's pray and let's have a great Thursday. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, the representation, the, the pointing to your son, Jesus, the understanding of um, even just the mirror basin, the wash basin there that we need to reflect on ourselves and, and also see of how we need to be more focused on you instead of ourselves. That though we can wash ourselves with water, we can baptize ourselves with water, Lord, that we, that you ultimately paid the ultimate price to fully wash us clean with your blood. Lord, we just thank you so much for your love, love of us first, so that we get to have a relationship with you. May we not ever take that for granted. May we never take our salvation for granted. May we never lose sight of grandeur and awe and amazement and love that you paid for on that cross. 
Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do in our hearts and lives. I pray a blessing over everybody on this Zoom right now and that is listening later on in this podcast. Lord, I pray that you continue to walk with them, be with them, pull them towards and closer and deeper with you and their families as well. I pray for those uh, down in Florida as well with the hurricane. I pray more protection over them and watch over them. Jesus, we thank you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. Have a great one, everyone. Take care, God bless, and we'll see you this weekend. It's going to be great. See you then.